Good evening. Former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin is sentenced to 22 years and six months for killing George Floyd. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Friday, June 25th, 2021. Derek Chauvin, the fired Minneapolis police officer who was filmed holding George Floyd's neck under his knee until he died, has been sentenced to 22 and a half years in prison. Hennepin County Judge Peter Cahill read the verdict. Mr. Chauvin, as to count one, based on the verdict of the jury, finding you guilty of unintentional second degree murder while committing a felony under Minnesota Statute 609.19 Subdivision 2, Paren 1, it is the judgment of the court that you now stand convicted of that offense. Pursuant to Minnesota Statute uh, Section 60904, counts two and three will remain unadjudicated as they are lesser offenses of count one. As sentence for count one, the court commits you to the custody of the Commissioner of Corrections for a period of 270 months. That's 270. That is a 10-year addition to the presumptive sentence of 150 months. This is based on your uh, abuse of a position of trust and authority and also the particular cruelty shown to George Floyd. You are granted credit for 199 days already served. Pay the mandatory surcharge of $78 to be paid from prison wages. You are prohibited from possessing firearms, ammunition, or explosives for the remainder of your life. Provide a DNA sample as required by law. Register as a predatory offender, as required by law. And that was Hennepin County Judge Peter Cahill reading the verdict, the sentence against um, Officer Derek Chauvin. During the sentencing hearing, Chauvin, the disgraced former cop, made his only public statement. He offered condolences to the family, the Floyd family, but added a cryptic reference to new information in the case. At this time, due to some additional legal matters at hand, I'm not able to give a full formal statement at this time. Um, but very briefly, though, I uh, do want to give my condolences to the Floyd family. Um, there's going to be some other information in the future that would be of interest. And uh, I hope things will give you some some peace of mind. Thank you. And I'll note that I did read your comments in the pre-sentence investigation as well. During the hearing before the sentence was read, Floyd's six-year-old daughter, Gianna, also gave a victim statement. She says she misses her dad. What do you miss most about your daddy? Well, I ask about him all the time. Mm. And... That's kind of it. Yeah. Well, when you ask about him, what are you asking about? Well, I was asking, how did my dad get hurt? Do you wish that he was still here with us? Yeah, but he is. Through his spirit? Yes. Yes. And when you see your daddy again one day, what do you want to do when you see him? I want to play with him. What kind of games do you want to play with him? Um, I want to um, play with him, have fun, go on a plane ride, go, um, and that's it. Yeah. Would you... we, used to, we used to have dinner meal every single night before we went to bed. My uh, my daddy always used to help me brush my teeth. Oh. Do you miss him helping brush your teeth? Yes. How do you hope that the world remembers him? Well, they help him because... Um, those mean people did something to him. Yeah. If you could say anything to your daddy right now, what would it be? It would be, I miss you and I love you. 
Gianna Floyd, the six-year-old daughter of George Floyd. A victim statement was also given by George Floyd's brother, Terrence, who pointedly asked Chauvin what he was thinking as he held his brother under his knee for nine and a half minutes. I wanted to know from the man himself why. What were you thinking? What was going through your head when you had your knee on my brother's neck? Why, why, when you, when you knew that he posed no threat anymore, he had, he was handcuffed. Why you didn't at least get up? Why you stayed there? While another brother, Philanise Floyd, asked for the maximum sentence of about 30 years. George's life mattered. So my family and I, most of all, my niece, Gianna. My niece, Gianna, she needs closure. I'm asking that you please find it suitable to give Officer Chauvin the maximum sentence possible charge that he has been found guilty for. My family and I have been given a life sentence. We will never be able to get George back. Daddy's our daughter's first love. He will never be able to walk Gianna down the aisle in her wedding, attend those magical moments of her life like a daddy-daughter dance. Sweet 16 party, seeing her out for prom graduations, and she will never be able to have any personal memories with her father. With a smirk on his face and children present, Officer Chauvin used excessive force and acted against his training. Chauvin had no regards for human life, George's life. I stand before you today asking you to please help us find closure by giving Chauvin the maximum sentence possible, making sure he does his time consecutively without the possibilities of parole, probation, or getting out early for good behavior. Thank you. And that was Philanise Floyd. Meanwhile, at George Floyd Square in front of the Cup Foods Market, on the street where Floyd was killed, supporters watched a live stream of the sentence erupting with anger that the sentence wasn't longer. Some maintain black people convicted of the same crime and less have received much longer terms in prison. But Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison, who's black, said this was the longest sentence on record for an officer who used lethal force. My hope for Derek Chauvin is that he uses his long sentence to reflect on the choices that he made on May 25th, 2020. My hope is that he will find it within himself to acknowledge the impact of his choices on George Floyd, his family, his fellow police officers and the world. My hope is that he takes the time to learn something about the man whose life he took and about the movement that rose up to call for justice in the wake of George Floyd's torture and death. Today is also an important moment for our country. The outcome of this case is critically important, but by itself, it's not enough. My hope for our country is that this moment gives us pause and allows us to rededicate ourselves to the real societal cha change that will move us much further along the road to justice. I'm not talking about the kind of change that takes decades. I'm talking about real change, concrete change that real people can do now. Keith Ellison. Meanwhile, at a news conference, family attorney Ben Crump expressed some satisfaction with the sentence, terming it a victory. He was joined by other lawyers and family members. Laquan McDonough, who was found killed, his killer, the police officer that killed him, shot him 14 times in the back mm. on video. 16. 16 times in the back on video. 
and he was convicted of second degree murder and he was only sentenced to six years. Mm. Botham Jones, who in Dallas, Texas, was killed in his own apartment. The white police woman, Amber Geiger, was found guilty of first degree murder, Reverend Al. Listen. And she was only sentenced to 10 years. And mm -hmm. Justin Miller, I, where was it, uh, Walter Scott in South Carolina? Same conviction, shot in the back, on video, convicted 20 years. So each step, each case, we keep making progress. We came too far to stop now. We have to keep going forward. And so that's why all the energy we have in this courtroom, we have to take the Capitol Hill, and we have to... Join Senator Cory Booker. We have to join Congresswoman Karen Bass, Senator Tim Scott. We got to say, you all, we need meaningful police reform right. so we don't have to put up with these injustices. Seems like, Reverend Al, every other week there's a new hashtag. We can stop this, America. We're at the turning point. Terrence, Floyd, Brooklyn, New York. Let me hear y'all say change. change. Let me hear y'all say change. change. That's right. Just like I heard y'all say change all together, that's how we're going to keep the change going. Together. Fight. Keep fighting. The way we got here is because of our fight and your fight together. Y'all hit the streets. Be thankful for y'all. And, and, and we just, we just, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed. Because I'm going to tell you a quick story. I had a dream the other night. I was um, in a field. I was in a field in the, in the south I with, my, with my family. And I saw, I looked back and I saw a man, I saw a man coming up, walking, walking. And I'm trying to figure out who is that, who is that? I look, I look, I, he gets closer. And all of a sudden I see the hat cocked to the side like this. Anybody that know me know who that is. That's my father. So he got close to me and he gave me a smile and he gave me a hug. I woke up, that, that dream was so real, I woke up hugging myself. Mm. So I knew, I was a little leery about the, about the sentencing, but because of that, I knew that my father was saying. He's good, keep doing what you're doing. For me, for your brother, for your name. Because we Floyd Strong. And we're going to stay strong. Yeah. It's on. Thank you. Thank you, Terrence. Uh, next, we will hear from uh, the nephew. And that was Terrence Floyd, brother of George Floyd, before him, attorney Ben Crump. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. Families of victims of a building collapse in Surfside, Florida, near Miami, hope for miracles as rescuers search the rubble for 159 who are still missing. Surfside Mayor Charles Burkett warned during a news conference that the building manager told him the tower was quite full and the death toll was likely to rise. He also said the building could be in danger of an additional collapse. A Florida official said federal authorities were responding to the disaster. The death count is now four. I want to be very clear about the numbers. Uh, they're very fluid. Uh, we'll continue to update you as, as we have them, but we have confirmed four deaths. The search and rescue team worked throughout the night, and uh, it was a very active scene from above and below. And uh, we also brought heavy machinery onto the site to assist with the operation. And so we are very, very grateful that our president has now authorized FEMA support. We have the resources for the families at the Family Reunification Center. People are anxiously waiting for news of their loved ones. And rescue crews were searching under the rubble using sonar devices to detect any signs of life. Fire officials say they did receive some sounds as they searched the debris, not, necess not necessarily human, but the sounds of banging. 
And a small fire appeared to break out in one part of the building this afternoon amid ongoing search and rescue efforts as smoke could be seen rising from one of the floors. The fire was extinguished in about 20 minutes. Officials say they still don't know what caused the collapse. Kamala Harris, the vice president of the United States, visited El Paso on Friday in her first trip to the U.S.-Mexico border as vice president after relentless criticism from Republicans who accused her of avoiding the border and ignoring what they say is a crisis of illegal immigration and drug trafficking. It's good to be back in Texas, and I am honored to be joined by Secretary Mayorkas, by Chairman Durbin, by Congresswoman Escobar. Um, we have a day planned that will be about, as much as anything, addressing the effects of what I've already been addressing, which are the root causes of migration, predominantly out of Central America. You've heard me say many times, most people don't want to leave home. And when they do, it is usually because either they are fleeing some type of harm or they cannot take care of the simple and basic needs of their family by staying where they are. And so we are here today to address and to talk about what has brought people to the U.S. border and, again, to continue to address the root causes which cause people to leave and often flee their home country. Vice President Kamala Harris. Harris was accompanied by Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, U.S. Senator Dick Durbin, Democrat of Illinois, and U.S. Representative Veronica Escobar, a Democrat also of El Paso. They visited the El Paso Border Patrol Station and the El Paso del Norte Port of Entry. Inside the border facility, Harris met with five immigrant girls who range in age from 9 to 16, and she spoke with a DHS official who laid on some really thick jargon. Even the Veep had to ask what he was talking about. Right, I started in April and we're already here to a point where we have NTAs working across CBP into ICRO, ORR, and now CIS is coming on board. But it's really important that we continue as that work group that the secretary formed and that we're working towards uh, continues to move forward so that we can get placement so much faster. Uh, I think one of the things that is going to be interesting from outside of DHS is if we can get the, the IJs uh, from DOJ on board into the system so that we can start working the whole process from the beginning to the end. IJ, what's IJ? The immigration judges. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. That, that we can have those scheduled, uh, those scheduled as we move forward. Kamala Harris at the southern border in El Paso, Texas today, getting a briefing from a DHS officer. And Attorney General Merrick Garland announced today that the United States Justice Department is suing the state of Georgia over its new voting law, saying that the controversial measure is intended to restrict ballot access to black voters. Our complaint alleges that recent changes to Georgia's election laws were enacted with the purpose of denying or abridging the right of black Georgians to vote on account of their race or color in violation of Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. Approximately two-thirds of eligible voters in the state cast a ballot in the, no in the November election just over the national average. This is cause for celebration. But then, in March of 2021, Georgia's legislature passed SB 202. Many of that law's provisions make it harder for people to vote. The complaint alleges that the state enacted those restrictions with the purpose of denying or abridging the right to vote on account of race or color. And that's Attorney General. Merrick Garland, the lawsuit marks the first major action from the Biden administration to combat a series of new restrictive voting measures passed by Republican-led state legislators, and it came on the eighth anniversary of the United States Supreme Court decision to gut another key provision of the landmark Voting Rights Act called Section 5. And finally, former Vice President Mike Pence yesterday defended his actions on January 6th yet again telling a Republican crowd that it would have been unconstitutional to reject electoral votes already certified by the states, as former President Donald Trump had falsely suggested Pence had the power to do. January 6th was a dark day in the history of the United States Capitol. But thanks to the swift action of Capitol Police and law enforcement, the violence was quelled, the Capitol secured, and we reconvened the Congress the very same day to finish the work of counting electoral votes from every state in the Union. Now, there are those in our party who believe that 
in my position as presiding officer over the joint session that I possess the authority to reject or return electoral votes certified by the states. But the Constitution provides the Vice President with no such authority before the joint session of Congress. And the truth is, there's almost no idea more un-American than the notion that any one person could choose the American president. The presidency belongs to the American people and the American people alone. Vice President Mike Pence speaking yesterday. And one more story closer to home. The New York City Police Department says it's uh, training all 35,000 of its officers on new de-escalation tactics. The program is called ICAT, Integrating Communications Assessment and Tactics. The cops hope to use the training to help shut down volatile situations without using violence. Police Commissioner Dermot Shea on Wednesday talked about the importance of teaching officers to manage crisis situations while keeping the community safe. Shea said sound tactics keeps everyone safe for our officers, but just as importantly for the people we serve. ICAD training enhances our efforts to always try to resolve potentially volatile situations, hopefully without the use of force. The training has already been used for city workers in emergency services. And we are going to stay on the line till the 7 o'clock hour, or right before the 7 o'clock hour, to take your calls about and to discuss further uh, your, your uh, reactions to, the listeners' reactions here at WBAI, to the verdict of 22 and a half years for Derek Chauvin and what that means so a year after uh, these events, you know, it, it happened and now we had the reaction to that happening. We had the people in the streets. We had all the events that happened with the Trump as president uh, threatening to bring out military reaction to protesters, uh, followed by a trial, a wrenching, gut-wrenching trial, really, of uh, Derek Chauvin ending in his uh, in a guilty verdict. And now the sentencing of 22 and a half years. Is this – in the opinion of, uh, of uh, the listeners to WBAI, is this adequate? Has this been – is there appropriate accountability for what happened and does this – and will this apply to policing here in New York and around the United States? And the eyes of the world are on this country. Uh, other countries such as uh, Russia hasn't stopped crowing about the uh, way America, a so-called bastion of freedom – treats its own citizens and especially citizens of color. And so this has an effect on, on, on the, it has a cost on the United States as a nation, as a country in its international relations. And so those who might say, who cares what goes on within the borders of the, uh, outside the borders of the United States? Well, you're paying for it through your taxes because uh, if there is a, a pushback from other countries, then the, we have to spend money to defend ourselves from those from that pushback. So, you know, it's uh, it's an expensive proposition. And to and uh, so, uh, is that enough? Have we done enough that we could take the United States off the grill and uh, be grilled for our human rights violations by countries like Russia and China? Very interesting. Our number is two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven. Our on air number. Two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven, and we'll be happy to take your calls about any of the issues on the news today, but particularly uh, your reactions to the uh, twenty-two and a half year sentence of uh, Derek Chauvin, the fired Minneapolis police officer who was filmed by numerous cameras holding George Floyd's neck under his knee for nine and a half minutes until he died. Actually, for several minutes after he died, and it was one of as the judge called it an act of brutality. The uh, prosecuting attorney, the attorney general, this was an act of brutality. And I thought one of the most telling statements was uh, from Terrence Floyd, who, who hails from Brooklyn, who was down there and in his victim statement, looked Chauvin in the eye and, and said, what was going through your mind? What were you thinking for nine and a half minutes? What would lead somebody 
for nine and a half minutes. I don't know if you, do we have any calls? I can't. I don't see the the lights here, so um, I have to depend on our our cool engineer Reggie Johnson, who really does the job here keeping WBAI together. Believe me, you you might not realize the uh, contribution he makes, and we thank him profusely every day uh, for helping get the news on board, which is no easy task in this age of COVID. Uh, are we have any calls yet? Paul, we do not have callers yet. Did you give the number? 212-209-2877. That is the number. Well, maybe WBAI listeners are so outraged or so flummoxed by this verdict. Maybe it just wasn't enough. Maybe it's, you know, I remember uh, Justin Volpe for, uh, he didn't even kill, um, uh, uh, you know, he, he tortured an Amad- inmate in Wait, jail, Amadou Diallo, right? was that? And Amad- and he, yes. Yeah. And, was it Amadou? Or, or no, no, it was... Um, Luima. Luima, Ab- Abner Luima, right. Right. Sorry about that. Uh, sorry about that, Mr. Luima. I'm, you might be listening right now. <laughs> I know you're a fan of WBAI. Yes. Uh, and, you know, uh, Abner Luima, uh, he got 30 years, and he's still in jail all these years later. So... Um, is 22 and a half years enough? Part of it is the Midwest. You have to you have to say this. The Midwest is a little bit of a – it is sort of liberal, and they don't go as hard on sentencing unless, of course, people were screaming for the same crime. More than a few people from the community, uh, African-American people and others, have uh, received much longer, harsher sentences, of course. But uh, they put it into uh, some context. This is the longest anybody can remember. Okay, Paul, so since you have given out the number, there is now a flurry of calls on the air, and we got calls ready for you. Sir. Let's fly through it. I want to get okay. people's opinions, and we're let's... going to try to do it quickly, you know, not All too right. long. Okay, good. Okay, let's then, do this. You're, you're on the radio. Let's do it. That includes you. How you doing? Hi. Well, your opinion, your uh, your feeling about the, uh, you know, I, as a reporter, I always ask the dumbest question in the world, but it's a telling one. You know, how does this make you feel? Okay. Well, first I want to say, um, Paul, you're my favorite news um, newscaster. And how, you had, I know you have these open forums, like you have them like once every month. I know um, Mike Sargent comes on now, but you like once in the blue moon, huh? <laughs> Uh, well, I was on last night. I was sitting in last night from midnight till 3 a.m. on Radio Nameable, which is exciting to talk to Bob's audience. Um, and right. Uh, well, you know, the, the air is tight. You know, we have a lot of great programmers, with a lot of great programming. It's only on occasion. I uh, you know, somebody isn't here or is taking a break or is on assignment and I get an opportunity and I, I, I treat it as a, a valuable opportunity to talk to you guys. Uh, the listeners, you know, and it's uh, glad to have you on yeah, and to talk to you. Well, and again, well, your just, your reaction just, to I'm, today's verdict. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm disgraced, man, because mm-hmm. that, you know, what happened last, uh, you know, Memorial Day last year, that sparked not nationwide outrage. It sparked worldwide backlash. Okay. I listen to a program every, every, every day that progressive talk on Wednesdays on 93.5. Conroy Allison has the uh, lawyers from the uh, Cochran firm. So um, they were talking about um, <clears throat> like the whole the whole sentencing thing. Yeah. And what do you think? Is it enough? Twenty two and a half years. Yeah. I mean, for something like that. That, that that's the whole thing. The guy's brother. You know. And he, and he broke down, and he was you know saying he was you know he, you know he was talking to Chauvin, trying to find what was going inside his head, and he asked the judge for closure, to give him the maximum. The judge had the power to give him thirty years. I think the the, the I think in that state, mm-hmm. um, the maximum was, was forty years or thirty years. Why yeah, thirty. Why I think. Give him the guy. Why not just slap on ten more years? Forty. It is forty. Why? Forty. It is forty. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Why didn't they slap on the the, the extra 20, twenty years? There's no excuse. The judge had the power to do that. That that was just total disrespect to um the guy's family. Right. Oh, well, knowing you know, because I used to live in the Midwest, all over New York. I did live out there, and they tend to be fairly liberal with uh, parole. So I, you know, twenty two, twenty five years, you're usually out in less than ten. In those states, so uh, I'd be I wouldn't be surprised if he got out in eight years. 
So in a way, it is a slap on the wrist. But still, others say, considering the context, other police officers finding accountability under the laws as they exist today, the Supreme Court has ruled over and over again that officers do have um, you know, the right to kill people, you know, they, they have the right to kill people, to arrest people. Or, I think we have to look at the whole way we do policing uh, and maybe even change the, the um, what is it, the 13th, the 15th Amendment, which allows for imprisoning people uh, and putting into forced labor, a sort of a continuation of slavery that's still in the Constitution of the United States, change that. Uh, there's a lot of changes. I think a new constitution, which of course is like, oh, America should have a new constitution. That would be easy. But uh, we have to change the way uh, uh, the way we give these officers uh, too much freedom to kill people. I mean they just have all this uh, – all these rights to get away with it, and uh, and they they use them, and it makes them. It feels like that cop with his, you know, Chauvin with his knee on, on his neck. You know, it's, he just didn't care. He was just in their face. The people yelling at him, he, he just didn't care. And maybe there's some officers out there who could tell us about this. What's it feel like if you're a police officer? Do you feel afraid to not have all these protections given to you by the Supreme Court, saying that you can't be sued and you can't be arrested and you can't be charged? You know, isn't that a little too much power? I'm going to move on to the next call. Thank you very much. We have a lot of people coming in, and, and we'll have to spend some time in a longer a longer forum where we can have longer uh, comments. Um, go ahead with the next call. Okay, caller, you're on the air. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Where are you calling from? Hello. How, oh, I'm calling actually from Queens, New York. Okay. Your reaction yeah, to the you uh, verdict, to the sentencing. First, I'd like to say thank you, Paul, for your program and the other gentlemen with you. Thank you, WBAI. The... The sentence itself, I understand 22 years, 40 years, he out in eight, nine years. All of that's heavy. Some people are happy. Some people are sad. But me, truthfully, where I'm coming from, I'm sorry to say it this way. I'm a black man born and raised in Queens. Black people in America, we are $2 trillion people with money. We, as our own people, have to start caring and loving for each other before anyone else would. If we can kill and slaughter each other the way we are across America, Chicago, New York, Philadelphia, and so on, no one else would care for us. Yes, I know, I understand, you know, all the politically correct things, but we have to do better within ourselves because no one can love you the way you love yourself. You know, and... I feel what Chauvin done, what the Justin Volpe, the guy with Sean Bell, all of these cases, they wouldn't have thought of these things if we loved and respected ourselves. I'm sorry to say this. That hip-hop, gangster, rap music have to be abolished because I believe that tarnish the way other race, other people around the world look at us, you know? I don't know if it makes sense. Don't make sense. Oh, it I don't makes know sense. It's very in. interesting. I, I, I don't necessarily ag- agree of being that that you know actually censoring an entire uh, type of cultural expression. Yet I, you know, I was a tour guide, and I would take my uh, my students who I was taking on New York City tour guides to the famous Ninth Avenue hip hop studios, and I was yeah. the the producers took us aside. And the producer, one of the producers who makes the rap songs, he looked at these kids and he said, I, I beg your forgiveness. <laughs> and it surprised me. He said, what? And, you know, I, I, I'm, why did you say that? And all the kids are, why did you say that? We love that music. And he said, you know, you'll learn. You'll grow up and learn why I said that. Well, I, I agree with what you're saying, and I understand. But for some reason, when – other race, whites, Chinese, Hindu, Arabs, whoever listen to the hip-hop, rap, gangster rap, I don't think they swallow it and eat it the way the young black youth do. Right. Well, let's, uh, I, this is such a deep question. Uh, we, uh, I have other folks who need to get on and talk, and let's save this for another time where we can talk about it more in depth because it's, it's worth a whole show on itself. It's very deep. Okay, right. we have another caller. Thank you very much. Uh, you're on the radio. Hey, all power to the people. My name is right. Africa from North. Mm. Hi. How, how you guys doing? Good. What's your reaction to what happened today? Yeah. Now, my reaction is the same as everything. 
it's, it's scientific. Like, we can't keep going with our feelings and emotions and letting them judge, dictate how we move. We are living under institutions of white supremacy. Like, the last brother was talking about hip-hop. Your know, hip-hop is a, um, it's a music genre that is controlled by institutions that we have no power over. The music that we receive, what we hear, we don't have the power to dictate what it is. Yo, Chauvin getting 22 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years has nothing to do with how the institutions of white supremacy function and how they be, how, what parts they play in our lives. So you, could lock, you could lock Chauvin up, you could lock up any other police officer that's been locked up already. It still doesn't change the condition because we are living with this now in North New Jersey. Four brothers were kidnapped by the police from in front of their house three weeks ago. I, as a citizen, have to go take videos, have to make podcasts to try to get the information out. Everybody in power refuses to hold these police officers accountable for this is on camera. Everybody see that what they did was wrong, but there's nobody fighting for them because Man. the institutions have normalized these behaviors. And we have to tell the truth. The truth is the police are not here to protect us. They're not here to protect the citizens. They're here to protect property, property and the wealthy. Our justice system works the same way because we live in an oligarchy. And these are not opinions. These are scientific truths that we don't adhere to. So when we run around here chasing for vigilantism because black leadership tells us this is what we need to find liberation, they are the problem. The leadership in the black community is the problem. Other, other groups have leadership that show them how to, um, to liberate themselves. At one point, Jews lived in the ghettos. They paid to build their own institutions to educate their own kids. We sent our children three years old, like barely four, into New Start, Early Start, whatever they call it, to be conditioned by white supremacy institutions. Uh-huh. And then we wonder... Why these kids turn out the way they do? What's the alternative? Okay. We don't have a lot of time because I need to get to the next call, but I want to just sum up with what you've been saying. With uh, what do you see as uh, how should kids be uh, taught? How, what should be done? And briefly, so the the boy said we have to build our own institutions. We have to collectively come instead of telling our people go vote and support institutions of white supremacy. We should tell them we need to collectively put our money together and build our own institutions and liberate our own people. Come up with co-ops. Instead of one black person owning a business and saying this is a black business, everybody in that community has stock in that business. Okay. Then uh, that's a great idea. And I think we had somebody on the news uh, a few days ago or last week who was talking about the success of co-ops and how they survived better than regular business, privately owned businesses, the uh, the uh, vicissitudes of the uh, – uh, of the pandemic and uh, did better th- than private companies in the pandemic. So I think that's very interesting that uh, co-ops is a way. I- I'm a big, strong supporter of co-ops. I think it's a great idea. Thank you very much, caller. Co-ops, with that said, idea. we have another caller. All right. You're on the radio. Hello. Yes. Welcome to WBAI. Thank you. I'm calling from New Jersey, Bergen County. Cool. And your reaction to today's uh, sentencing? I thought it was definitely uh, not the proper <clears throat> – Sentencing. I think he should have at least been sentenced to life imprisonment without parole. This was a blatant disregard for a person's human life, blatantly. And he had a smirk on his face all the time. So I think it was not a just... Mm. Sentence. Yeah, the prisons are full. They put, they, you know, I read stories of fourteen and fifteen year old kids who were sentenced to life in prison and sent, right. served the sentence. So right. you're right. I mean, I don't really understand. Is you know, life uh, in America, they used to say a life for a life. They and, and so if you kill somebody, you get life without parole. I mean, that's many states look at it that way. And what you mentioned about the New York City Department having yeah. this new program where they're going to sensitivity training—that's a lot of BS. These folks have been policemen for years. They know what the right procedure is for treating people in a human way. They know that's BS and more BS. You're right. Come You're absolutely right. I mean, how many, many times have I've had people on who said that? Right. That's garbage. BS. And they, they go know. out there and shoot and kill somebody else. Right. And You're a right. gentleman who talk about, you know, black people don't love themselves, that's a lot of garbage, too. He's been brainwashed. Black people love themselves. People every day out there working to do the best they can for their families and their children. So that BS he's talking to, he's been brainwashed. He's been listening to too much of this white supremacy 
garbage. <laughs> very interesting. Thank you very much, caller. Boy, this is great. Uh, all right, let's. We have another call online. Yes, and, we do. And, you know, oh, cool. All right, let's go to it. Okay, you're on the radio. I'm in New Jersey. Okay, and I'd cool. Like to make the following comment. I I'm just galled by this. Uh, the fact is that he should have gotten the full Monty and his boss because it wasn't the first time he did something ugly. And as long as our taxpayers have to pay these audacious amounts of money for the ugly behavior of people who are supposed to protect and serve, we should be going after their unions mm. to pay. Right. I, well, I think, you know, the Supreme Court has made so many rulings over the last years that have taken uh, law enforcement out of the area of liability. Like, they're, you know, the city can oh, be I held liable, but it. the cops I, I, and the I, police department itself and these unions, they can't be held liable. And the officer is given freedom to uh, to pretty much shoot down anybody for any reason they want. And then they have qualified immunity for it. I mean, we have to start reducing that because there'll never be accountability as long as there's qualified account. Uh, you know, it needs to be the only reason. You know, it might be said that the only reason that even this sentence of 22 and a half years came down was because of the civil unrest that occurred, which everybody says is the worst thing in the world. Maybe that's the reason why he got 22 years instead of like 12 years. Amen. You know, and they knocked that. But, uh, you know, why do you think people are in the streets protesting? Well, you know, they're not stupid. They know. All look, right. Hey, All look, right. Thank look, you. Look, look at the yeah. drug dealers, um, Big Pharma. They pay a fine, but they don't go to jail, killing millions of people. Oh. Right. Accountability. Right. The uh, Sackler family, they're heroes. Their names all over the Metropolitan Museum of Art. You never know that tens of thousands of people have died by their uh, basically by their hand. I'm You're sure absolutely right. Front of that, on the steps of that building, too. Have and uh, how about you? Trump, the, pre the former president of the United States, 600,000 people died of, of covid under him. They wouldn't have had six hundred thousand people died if even a, even if a Biden a, a moderate you know a moderate nothing much mishmash president would have done better. The guy should be held for I think Trump should be held on uh, on murder charges for six hundred thousand people. They're going to get him for tax evasion, but he should be held for like mass murder. Anyway, next call. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, caller. Next caller. You are on the line. Hello there. You're on the radio. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I want to say I love WBAI. Um, I mean, no disrespect. I'm uh, very progressive, always trying to see both sides of everything. I think there's still a lot of things with this case that we have to question that, that just got swept under the rug. I feel like from the beginning, this video was very suspect. George Floyd's past is very suspect in terms of if you look at like tattoos and what organizations he might have been involved with he was known to do pornography down in texas um the black lives matter movement didn't just pop up out of nowhere they spent hundreds of millions of dollars on this thing um i've been to the protest i've seen the way the people are i think it's all very suspect you know george soros funds so much stuff like this i think politico said he put 400 something million dollars into this and but what about that video? Okay, I understand what you're saying. I, I've sort of heard a lot of that already, and, and from people I know. And uh, but what when you look at that video, nine and a half minutes with his uh, knee on the guy's neck, and then he's you know he dies actually three minutes earlier than the time he was. He had his knee on the, on the neck of a dead man for three minutes of the nine and a half minutes, uh, as was shown in the trial. And then he was looking with that smirk in the face of people who were begging him to get off the guy's neck. And the guy was handcuffed. There was no reason to keep him on the ground. I mean, how how can you – why wouldn't anybody be angry? What what red-blooded human being wouldn't be angry after seeing something like that? It was off. It was – there was no humanity there. Part of the people watching, putting a stop to it, the other cops, it doesn't seem like that does anything. By the way, um, Israeli – uh, defense forces came over and trained people in cities across America on how to do that same maneuver. By the way, there's an article about that online. I'm just saying um, the whole thing is very suspect, and um, it to me doesn't seem like oh the funeral. They took him took his body on a tour. There's all kinds of discrepancies with the funeral. You're telling me the one time it was open. Cash. But I don't really understand what is the purpose of the discrepancies. Person, like, well, what what are they trying to do? To get a, to get a what are these forces uh, behind the scenes trying to do? Well. 
Well, it's propagating racism in general. I think you can't have, you, you know, you can't have a war without 9-11. You can't have them going forward with uh, their, which is, is maybe a good thing, you know, to, hey, I'm the first to say there's all kinds of discrepancies in the, in the criminal justice system. Right. Uh, I'm not sure what the ones you're talking color. about are, but we'll have to get back to it another time because it, this seems too deep to be able to solve in just a few minutes. It's very interesting, a new way of looking at things I hadn't seen before, and I'll definitely consider it probably too much. Uh, let's go to the that, next caller. Uh, race, critical race theory can fix, uh, but yeah. we do have another <laughs> caller. Yes, I leave that to, uh, <laughs> you know. I studied black uh, history in college, you know, I wouldn't know any of this stuff wasn't for that. I was so <laughs> yeah. dumb. They told me, uh, oh, there was racism. In, there was slavery in Brazil. And I looked at the professor and said, you're telling me there was slavery in Brazil? And he looked at me like, how could you get to college and not know that? And I said, I guess I went to the these great high schools that made me more stupid than before I went into them. Well, you, but it, you, you, because it, you was taught not to be disappointed about this country because everything about this country is great and wonderful. Everything that, that we hard. do that is was great it. And it was wonderful. so shocking. I, I felt embarrassed, you know, in front of the whole class saying something so stupid. And and the professor was so nice. He was like, he he said, it's not the first time I've seen this before, Paul. Don't worry about it. Oh. We'll help you. All right, but go we ahead. We do have another Next caller call. on the line. Yes. Hello. You're there. on the you're on the radio. Okay, caller. You're there. All right. Okay, Next we one. must have yeah, scared him. Okay. Oh, we've got you. Okay. Go ahead. Where are you calling from? I'm yeah, where, you, where are you calling from? Okay? Yeah, not really. From... Oh, we're not hearing you. Yeah, no, you got to charge up your phone. Call back later. You got to charge your phone. Next call. Okay, wait a minute. Sorry. Wait Another a minute. Time. Okay. All right, we got the call. Okay, well, okay. Caller, you're on the line. All the time. Oh, um, Sante, well, you are too. You you have to be. <laughs> you're on every time I'm on, which is all the time these days. Well, just a, there's a lot happening. My curiosity, to, to say the least. Well, about the. Of course, it's not enough, but it's a start. And uh, you know, we'll see what happens when the other shoe drops, because his tag friends who were with him when he when he did the deed are going to go on trial very soon. So that will be interesting to see now that, uh, you know, the, the, the masses have been assaulted, what, what happens next. And uh, concerning uh, the caller who said, uh, uh, you know, how come, and you uh, answered about the constitutional sentences, what I proposed last night, and, going, and I'm going to reiterate now, I don't think falls within those guidelines because it's a budgetary question. The cities can and should restrict the police budget in proportion to the awards that are paid out with our money to people who have been wronged. And I think the police departments around the nation, you know, I, I broached it last night, I'm, I'm reiterating it again because I don't hear it from people who are into uh, very seriously into the, the observation of law enforcement in this country. Make the police not liable, but simply say, hey, 45 millions went out because you killed somebody? That's coming out of your budget. And the top press and the big cops will get the message very quickly. That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to leave them. And thank you. And I, should, I think they should put an end to financing things through uh, forfeiture. Uh, you know, these forfeiture laws are horrific. When I heard yesterday I did a story, I didn't mention where the money came from in this story about this new youth uh, NYPD uh, youth program that they're starting to try and stop gun violence before it happens, like, you know, through PAL or something like that. And they totally – they said that, that somebody asked, how are you financing this? And the, and, uh, the commissioner, Shea, he said uh, through forfeitures. I'm saying, so you're going out there and making people forfeit money. Half the time, there's no the money is taken away from the people with no evidence that they did anything wrong. They just take money away from people. Forfeiture is the biggest scam that governments use, and I think they should put an end to that as well. But anyway, that's my two cents. <laughs> Don't forfeit it. All right, and uh, next call. Okay, I look like I think we have the caller that was. Uh, oh. The connection was bad. Is back. So oh, uh, here we go. Let's give it another shot. We'll try. Oh. Go ahead. You're on the radio. Good evening, gentlemen. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Is this a better connection? Much better. Okay, good. Because I got a few things I want to say. I am really, really concerned, and I got a lot of anxiety. I'm calling from the Bronx, and um, I just – I hate to sound pessimistic, 
but I am really starting to get the feeling that a lot of the things that are happening recently are really things that try to quiet us and distract us while things start slowly going back to exactly the way they were uh, prior to, you know, even Floyd or going back to, like, the Garner stuff and so on. They just gave us that holiday with the Juneteenth. Mm. You know, they legalized marijuana. You got Chauvin getting 22 years. That in itself, I'm not even going to talk about that because, uh, you know, by the time, you know, parole, good behavior and all that stuff like that, how much of that he's going to serve, we don't know. But I'm noticing that there's a lot of, like, applauding and back slapping and people saying that we got it done right, we're doing the right things. This is an example of how things are supposed to work in this country. And because of that, you're also starting to hear when you listen to, like, the – and I would imagine a lot of what's happening in this urban area is happening in other urban areas around the country. You're hearing a lot of things like um, uh, maybe police uh, could get back to stop and frisk if it's done and tweaked and done a little bit differently. Crime has become a major issue in a lot of the campaigns, and I am just really getting afraid that they're going to turn around and say, we gave you a little something. Look, we just gave you the holiday. Almost like that's to say that, you know, uh, celebrate the fact that you are free, when a lot of people really truly know that that's another little, you know, illusion in disguise, too. And then you're getting this whole thing with, like, you know, Chauvin just got put away for some years, so see, the system does work. So when they come back on the street and start beating people up again, it's okay. I don't want to sound pessimistic, and I'm hoping it's really not like that. But I'm just starting to get this sense that it's really starting to flip back the other way. You're hearing even Adams talking about putting more police back on the force when some people oh, are yeah. trying to get them to lower their budget. So right. I'm going to leave you guys with that. You guys have a beautiful evening, and thank you for taking my call. All right, thank you. I guess we're coming to 6.55, so uh, thanks a lot for joining the WBAI News extended version where we took your calls, and we're one of the few news organizations in the world, if the only one, that actually takes calls from people after the news and has them comment and ask what they'd like us to cover and talk about in the news. And I you can, I listen, and I try and listen to the subtext and the message underneath the message that I hear from people and influences me greatly in how I do the news. So thank you all for that, and thank you for joining the WBAI News. I'm Paul DiRienzo, news producer Linda Perry, our engineer is Reggie Johnson from New York City. I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening and keep on listening to WBAI, the greatest radio station in the world.